You are listening to WNHHLP, 103.5 FM New Haven, streaming live at www.newhavenindependent.org and broadcasting live from our offices on Elm Street. This is another episode of Law, Life, and Culture with Betsy Kim. Hello, this is Betsy Kim, and you're listening to Law, Life, and Culture on WNHH's 103.5 FM. It's been an exhausting week for many New Haveners. As reported in the New Haven Independent, 86% of the city's votes in the presidential election went to candidate Hillary Clinton. And the responses to her defeat have been varied. But no matter what, people still need to go on with their lives, including the everyday aspects of things we face. And what could be more of an everyday universal experience than the common cold, right? So the arrival of autumn and winter are often a brisk reminder of how life goes on. And I'm hoping today's show may help all of us deal with the common cold. So we have on the phone with us Dr. Howard Salinger, Chair of Family Medicine at the Frank H. Netter School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Dr. Salinger, welcome to Law, Life, and Culture. Happy to be here. Now, first of all, let's just talk about the difference between a cold and the flu. Aren't they both caused by viruses, just different ones, and the symptoms are similar with the flu being a bit more severe, but often with aches, pains, chills, and high fever? Well, they are both caused by viruses, but the flu virus has the potential to be a heck of a lot more severe, especially for those who already suffer with chronic medical problems, whether they're respiratory or heart-related or other more serious problems, whereas cold viruses can make you feel miserable, but they generally will not produce complications that could be life-threatening and are quite relatively minor compared to the more serious flu complications that can occur. Okay. But do you catch them in the exact same way, and it's just a matter of catching different viruses? There's essentially two ways that viruses are transmitted. Most commonly, it's either through the air, respiratory, people coughing, sneezing, blowing their nose, and those droplets of viruses can travel and infect you. Or if someone's coughing and sneezing and then they're going ahead and blowing their nose with their hands and then they shake someone else's hand and they in turn touch their nose or their eyes, anywhere it can gain entry, then you're going to be sick. But people often associate having a cold or the flu with winter. But I've had horrible colds in the summer, which is a different kind of miserable. But are we truly more prone to catching the colder flu when it's cold out? Well, let's see. Um, It's not about the temperature, really. The flu is also known formally as influenza. And virus, cold viruses are caused by a virus called rhinovirus. They're definitely more common in the community during the fall and winter months. And that's just the time of year that they tend to thrive. That's not to say you can't catch a cold in the spring and the summer, but at those times of the year, getting a GI virus, those viruses are more are circulating more readily than the cold and flu viruses. Is there any truth to the notion that if you bundle up in the cold winter and stay warm, you'll be able to avoid catching a cold or the flu? I'll I'll tell you honestly, why colds and flu are more common in the winter months is still not fully understood, though behavior has an effect on this. We're far more likely to be indoors with other people where the ventilation is likely to be worse than when it's warmer and we're outdoors. 
the immune system is depressed to some degree by cold weather, which particularly affects the upper respiratory tract when cold air is breathed in. A cold nose gives cold and flu-causing rhinoviruses more chance to reproduce. So you're more likely to catch a cold if one is around if the temperature is cold. In warmer climates and in warmer temperatures, the immune system is more likely to intercept the virus before it can result in an illness. Actually, covering the nose to keep it warm is a way of trying to reduce the chance of catching a cold. Oh, so more covering your nose with a scarf as opposed to the top of your head with a hat. Would that be more effective in fending off or preventing a cold? There's some data that suggests that would be more effective. Years ago, my father told me that washing hands is one of the most effective ways to prevent catching a cold. So I do always wash my hands immediately when I get home. And ever since I've been doing that, I actually have experienced that I have seem to have caught in colds with much uh, less of a frequency. Well, what you're doing when you wash your hands is two things. One, if you have bacteria or viruses, but more likely viruses, you're not going to spread them to others. But if you shake someone's hand or you are touched by someone who is infected with a cold virus or a flu virus and it stays on your hands, and you don't move your hands to your eyes or your mouth or your nose, any opening that could give that virus an opportunity to get in your body, and then you wash your hands, then you're not going to catch it. So that's how that would work. Direct physical contact is a very common way to catch a cold or flu virus. And if washing hands for 30 seconds with an antiseptic like a soap, you're far more likely to become infected. So what's your best advice to enjoy this fall and winter without catching a cold? Nothing terribly sophisticated. Eat well, get plenty of sleep, keep your stress level down, stay warm for the reasons we mentioned above, and that's it. And, and, and wash your hands reasonably when you're in a crowd and around people where you think you may be touched or touching and have cold and flu virus on your person. In some situations, it seems just inevitable that you'll catch a cold. I'm getting over a cold myself, and I think because I was on a plane with someone who had a terrible cold and was sitting right by me, coughing and sneezing for a full seven hours, and the plane was full, and the whole time I was just thinking, I'm going to catch a cold, I'm going to catch a cold. And sure enough, three days later, the sore throat and fever appeared. So what, was that just inevitable that was going to happen to me? Well, but that's right. If you're in a less well-ventilated area, and there are flu and cold viruses circulating, then that's how you get exposed to respiratory transmission even without coming into direct contact with a person. So it's a lot about who you're with and the setting you're in. Now, I read that a virus is an ultra-microscopic thing that has RNA or DNA and is surrounded by a coat of protein, and it replicates only within the cells of a living host, bacteria, plants, or animals, for example. So are viruses considered living or not? Depends on how any one individual defines living. Viruses are biological entities that can infect individuals, uh, animals, as well as humans, with their DNA, and then in doing so, they produce an illness. In my book, that's a living organism. 
Okay, so now what happens physically when you catch a cold or the flu? Does the virus get into specific cells and then take over those cells, forcing your own cells in your body to produce symptoms like the sore throat, stuffy nose, and fever? I don't think takeover is the right way to think about it. When activated by a cold virus, there are chemicals in our bodies called inflammatory mediators that cause the blood vessels to leak, not of blood, but of clear fluid and for mucous glands to secrete more mucus. They also activate sneeze and cough reflexes, stimulate pain nerve fibers. These events are what lead to the symptoms of a cold. Cold symptoms are mainly due to the body's response to the infection. When a nasal cell is infected by a cold virus, the body responds by activating parts of our immune system and some of our nervous system reflexes. I understand that bacteria are actually single-celled creatures with a wall and a thin membrane surrounding the fluid inside the cell. Unlike viruses, they can reproduce on their own. But you can also get a bacterial infection that has symptoms of a cold. What's the difference, and how can you tell if it's a viral or bacterial infection? Well, as far as public health goes, that's a really important question. On, on a microscopic level, bacteria are single-celled organisms. They can reproduce on their own. Viruses are not able to reproduce on their own, but require the machinery of our own cells to replicate. Clinically, it can be very difficult to tell the difference between a bacterial and a viral infection. I say it's more the reverse, that it's sometimes difficult to tell if there's a bacterial component or if a viral infection has evolved into a bacterial infection. The most common example of this is head congestion with a cold. It's often treated as if it represents a sinus infection, but more than 90% of the time it doesn't, and that results in an overuse of antibiotics. Colds in the vast majority of people will run their course, and you treat the symptoms. is touching upon another area I wanted to talk to you about. I've also heard that people often have a cold or flu or maybe a bacterial infection, but then they rush to the doctor asking for antibiotics. But those are only effective with bacterial infections and not viruses. So can you explain why antibiotics aren't going to help most people who catch a cold? Because colds are caused, as we've said, by a class of virus called rhinovirus, and antibiotics, the way they work, will not be effective against a cold virus. And this is the most important topic we're going to cover today. They only work against bacterial infections, and if if, if clinicians, whether it's doctors or nurse practitioners or physician assistants, use antibiotics inappropriately, as has often been the case for many years by many health professionals, when you really need them, they would have been out in the community and created resistance among the bacteria that circulate that they otherwise might have, might have been able to eradicate. This is a major public health issue. So is that also a global threat in that now, because of the overuse and continued misuse of antibiotics, the world is developing superbugs for which the world could eventually have no cure? Unfortunately, that's true. You're absolutely right. We're running out of effective antibiotics for the bacterial infections they're intended to treat. That's pretty scary. So 
with people, um, if their doctor is willing to just give them an antibiotic, whether it's bacterial or viral, what's a way for them to tell or some ways um, to discount the possibility that it is a bacterial infection? Well, for example, if you have a cold with a bad headache and a sore throat, you can swab someone's throat and you can prove that it's not a strep throat, so you know it's coming from a virus. But a lot of it is, is clinical, uh, is understanding the mechanisms of disease, understanding the patterns of disease, looking and listening to the heart and the lungs, checking the sinuses clinically, knowing how long a person's been sick, and knowing how susceptible they are to more serious illness. So it really depends on the judgment of the treating clinician, other than the few tests that we can do, like strep throats and like flu tests, which are also um, something that can be done if you see a person in the first 48 hours of their illness, but not after that. Those kinds of tests and a, and a clinician's judgment are the only ways we have right now to distinguish the common cold and the flu from something more serious in the upper tract. In the lower tract, you can do a chest x-ray if you're hearing something. Okay, so if not antibiotics, what is the best way to get rid of a cold or flu? Does... The best way is to stay hydrated because if you do get a temperature, a fever with the cold or the flu, that's going to cause you to lose fluid through the skin, through sweating. So you want to hydrate. Uh, there's an old adage, feed a cold, starve a fever, but that's not what really applies. You want to stay hydrated. You don't have to worry so much about eating. It's perfectly fine for you to use things like Tylenol or ibuprofen if you don't have medical reasons to avoid them or be cautious with them. They can help with fever and body aches. It's perfectly fine to use decongestants like Sudafed, again, as long as you have no reason to be concerned that that could hurt you, to clear your head. Even, even nasal sprays like Afrin and Neosinephrine, when used very sparingly for a very short period of time, can make you much more comfortable, like when you want to sleep at night. And there's some evidence that things like zinc can shorten the course of a viral illness of a cold. And then we also have medicines for the flu that if you get to them within the first 48 hours, they can shorten the course and reduce the intensity of flu symptoms. But there is no cure for the flu or the common cold. What about vitamin C? There's never been any really rigorous scientific data to prove that taking high doses of vitamin C has any impact on the length of time or the symptoms of the cold. Okay. For a bacterial infection, could it be dangerous to not take some strong medicine before it develops into something serious? Uh, no. The medicines that I mentioned, the ibuprofens and the Tylenols, the Sudafed, nasal spray, when taken carefully and judiciously, make you feel more comfortable. But it's not dangerous. If you're a smoker, if you're an elderly person, the cold could turn into a bronchitis but it most of the time will not. And the flu could cause some serious complications. So you really need to be alert. And those around you and those who love you need to be alert to how you're behaving, how you're eating, drinking, and what your energy level appears to be and if you need to be seen in a healthcare facility. So 
You are listening to The Best Way to Handle the Cold and Flu Season on New Haven's Best Radio Station, 103.5 FM, WNHH. So Dr. Selinger, is there any benefit at all for health purists who don't take any drugs, you none of the things over-the-counter medications that you've referenced, but if they take nothing, is there any health benefit to that to suffer a little bit more during a bout of a cold? Some people think that a fever is the body's way of killing the viruses, and there's some data to support that. Flus definitely give you the fever. Uh, cold viruses less so, but you can still get a low-grade fever. So there's no reason to treat fever unless fever is in turn producing symptoms of you feeling more poorly and you want to feel better. Then you can go ahead and treat the fever. No one has proven that that impairs the body's fighting the cold or flu or helps the body's fighting the cold or flu. That's all still speculative. I've heard it's good for children to catch colds and contract minor bugs so they can develop their immunity system. But I've also heard there are so many, maybe millions of types of viruses and bacteria in the world that catching a cold has no benefit to anyone's health because even if you become immune to the specific virus causing your current cold, there are just too many viruses in the world that you're going to catch another cold in the future. Is it true or false? There are hundreds to over a thousand rhinoviruses and other classes of viruses that can produce cold symptoms. So I don't agree that it's good for children to catch a cold. It's not a bad thing. It does not do them significant harm as long as they're healthy and stay rested and hydrated. Quite the contrary, I think there are studies suggesting the overuse of hand sanitizing may not be a good thing. Small doses of exposure to viruses and even bacteria in the community that are sufficient to be managed by our own immune systems is probably a healthier approach to life than to be so sanitized that when you are exposed to something, the body is unable to eliminate that exposure without a more dramatic reaction of sickness or illness. So how contagious are colds? If my food server has a cold and prepares my lunch, um, will I mostly likely catch one too? And can microwaving or reheating food kill any cold or flu viruses and bacteria? Microwaving, I honestly don't know the answer to that, but I highly doubt. I think we would know if that was something that would kill cold or flu viruses, so I suspect not. But both cold viruses and flu viruses are highly contagious. Uh, if you've not had a recent exposure that's rendered you immune to those particular viruses. And even then, as you said, there's hundreds to over a thousand out there. So I don't think there's any benefit to to encouraging or promoting uh, colds and flus like some parents will do, for example, with chickenpox um, before the advent of vaccination um, in the hopes of rendering lifelong immunity. I once worked at an office where people would get financially rewarded for perfect attendance, meaning no sick days. And I thought that was a horrible policy because then people would drag into the workplace sick and make other people sick. And that couldn't have been good for productivity. But just how inevitable is it that you will catch a cold if you are around someone with a cold? Uh, It's pretty darn likely that if you live in a household with someone who has a cold or the flu, and you're not immunized, this refers now to the flu, uh, or you work closely with someone every day at work, that you're going to catch whatever they have. 
unless unless you and they are very conscious of it and take the precautions we talked about earlier. That's just part of living life. So people should take their sick days and stay home when they have a cold, are you saying? Yes, yes they should. Otherwise, they're just going to spread their sickness around. About three years ago, I remember there was an app that would search through your social media and determine whom you could blame as to who gave you that horrible cold. And from a humor point of view, it was pretty funny. But do you see any practical benefits from a medical point of view to such an application? I can't imagine that unless, unless not with colds and flu, uh, perhaps with some more serious, God forbid, or deadly illness, any detective work you can do to find out, you know, the individual or individuals who are serving to spread this in that sort of situation, that could be potentially beneficial, and that's epidemiologic medicine. Well, thank you, Dr. Howard Salinger, the Chair of Family Medicine at Quinnipiac University Medical School, for helping us all enjoy a happier and healthier season. You are very welcome. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. I'm Betsy Kim on WNHH 103.5 FM's Law, Life, and Culture.